Welcome to Two Bees in a Podcast, brought to you by the Honeybee Research and Extension Laboratory at the University of Florida's Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences. It is our goal to advance the understanding of honeybees and beekeeping, grow the beekeeping community, and improve the health of honeybees everywhere. In this podcast, you'll hear research updates, beekeeping management practices discussed, and advice on beekeeping from our resident experts, beekeepers, scientists, and other program guests. Join us for today's program, and thank you for listening to Two Bees in a Podcast. In this episode of Two Bees in a Podcast, we'll be talking with the American honey princess, Sydney Paulsrud. That will be followed by a new series of segments that we have for you entitled Pests in the Apiary. What are the things that attack honeybee colonies from the outside in? And our resident University of Florida expert, Dr. Bill Kern, will be joining us over the next few series to talk about pests in the apiary. In today's podcast, specifically, ants, what they do to bees and how to control them. And of course, we will conclude with a question and answer series. Hey, Jamie. Hey, Amy. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Have you ever wondered what it would be like to be a princess? I can't say that I have. Well, (laughs) we're about to have someone. Our next guest is going to talk about being a princess, an American honey princess. Isn't that exciting? I think that is. I think we're going to learn a lot about the American Beekeeping Federation's Honey Queen program. Absolutely. So today we have Sydney uh, Paulsrud. Mm-hmm. And she's from, I'm sitting here, I'm like, is that right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <Good> <laughs> is job. that your name? Is that who you are? Uh, she is with the American Beekeeping Federation. She is our 2020 American Honey Princess. She is from Wisconsin, and I'm not even going to try to say, say where. Claire? <laughs> I'm like, clearly you, that is Eau Claire. Claire. <laughs> anyway, so we are so happy to have you yes, here Cindy, today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, can you tell us a little bit, even though Jamie doesn't want to be a princess, can you tell us a little bit about what a honey queen is or what the honey queen program is absolutely so queen mary and i we travel the united states this year and we get to help people learn all about the honeybees and here i am at the university of florida and i get to attend a beekeepers course yeah that's cool yeah you know it's funny i my, i grew up around agriculture and so mm-hmm. as, as a young fella i would see that there was the honey queen you know there's the mm-hmm. watermelon queen there's the <laughs> blueberry queen you know almost all of agriculture has some type of mm-hmm. you know queen mm-hmm. and princess there's a dairy program. queen yeah <laughs> 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 you know i mean that was actually pretty funny <laughs> thank you i don't know how thank much you, credit i you. should give you for that <laughs> oh, I wonder, do you think the dairy the dairy industry calls there's the dairy queen mm-hmm. Okay. Why, why wouldn't they? All right. So anyway, back to the honey queen. And so when I started keeping bees, I would get pamphlets from the American Beekeeping Federation mm-hmm. from the honey queen or the honey princess. And it would be a pamphlet that had recipes on yeah. how to make certain honey things. Do you guys still do that? Yeah. we. I actually brought my recipes no here. No way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I give them out to people. They they love them. They they always go, oh, yeah, I love cooking with honey. I love it so much. Well, well, I'll tell you what. Well, instead of instead of going straight to the cooking with honey, let's let's yeah. start at the beginning. So you you've you've briefly described the Honey Queen program. We're going to mm-hmm. get a lot more into that. But before we get there, can you tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and how you specifically got into the Honey Queen program and became the American Honey Princess? Yeah. 
When my family learned about the honeybees, they wanted to raise bees of their own. Sure. And they haven't yet, but they wanted to go to the meetings. Okay. So they brought me along and they needed a county queen for where I'm from. Okay. So I became the Eau Claire Chippewa County Queen. There you go. Eau Claire yeah. nice. Chippewa. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Eau Claire Chippewa. Yeah. We have a lot of weird names in Wisconsin. <laughs> Including Wisconsin. No, I'm yep. just <laughs> Um, and then from there, they had me going to different promotional events around Eau Claire. Okay. And then they said, you know, you're allowed to run for Wisconsin Queen. And I thought that'd be super exciting. So I had to write an essay and um, turn in a form of a little bit about myself. Sure. And they had to accept it. And once accepted, I went to their convention and okay. I was crowned the Wisconsin Honey Queen. So the essay, I guess it was on a beekeeping related topic. Yes, I actually don't remember exactly. <laughs> it's okay. It was a while ago. Now, but were you the Wisconsin queen for 2019? Is that how it yes. works? Okay. And so when you are a state queen mm -hmm. for a year, the following year at the American Beekeeping Federation, which always has their meeting in January, mm -hmm. right? You can go and compete nationally yes. for honey queen or honey princess, correct? Mm -hmm. All right. So tell us a little bit about the American Beekeeping Federation honey queen program. Well, like once you achieve the state level, then you moved on to the, the nationals. Tell us about that process. Yes. Yeah, so it's similar to the state process, at least for Wisconsin, we had to write an essay and we had to prepare a presentation to give to the audience that sure. we had. And um, we were we had judges okay. that were secretly watching us throughout the convention. <laughs> and they just they had to see how well we could speak with people. Our, um, what am I trying to say? They are beekeeping knowledge. Sure, they had sure, to sure, sure. Check on those things and make sure we knew how to communicate well with other people. Now, does every state in the U.S. participate in the Honey Queen program? Like, did, were there fifty competitors there, or were there ten or fifteen? I mean, how, how many individuals were you competing against for this crown? Yeah, there were only three of us, unfortunately. Okay. okay. Uh, not every state has a Honey Queen program. Oh, okay. It can be a costly thing. Sure. So, um, our funds all come from donations and auctions and raffles. Yeah, a lot of people get confused about the Honey Queen and Princess program, but the way that I describe it is really the these individuals, you guys are ambassadors yes. to the beekeeping mm -hmm. industry, right? Isn't that? And so so essentially when you're at the American Beekeeping Federation and you're writing essays and w was there a public speaking or an examination or a written exam? Yeah, we so we did those uh presentations on pollination. Sure. At an auxiliary luncheon. Okay. And then we also uh, introduce ourselves in the microphone yep. uh, the start of the convention. Sure. Okay. So it's a different topic as far as your uh, presentation every year, right? So next yes. year's queen and princess will have to talk on something different, not pollination. But pollination yep. was a topic that you guys had to talk about. Yes, exactly. And so essentially you're getting scores necessarily in all these categories and they're mm -hmm. trying to figure out who would be the best ambassador for the American honey production industry, right? Yes. Okay. And so you're the honey princess, mm -hmm. right? And you've been the honey princess since January of 2020. Yep. All right. And for, for our listeners out there, we know this is a podcast <laughs> without a date. This this happens to be March. So you've without been- Without a date. We're, yeah, we're, we're, in, we're in a no- We're a dateless pod, podcast. <laughs> all right. Uh, but it happens to be March 2020 of the same year. So you've been the honey princess for two months. Yes. Right? All right. So the American honey princess. So now what? I, next week, I will be in Texas okay. at the Houston Livestock Show. Okay. Or no, not Houston. Yeah, it is Houston. Never sure. mind. Um, and then That's I'll okay. be in There's Connecticut. There's lots of cities in Texas. There is. 
Um, and that'll be in Connecticut, and that will all be around nine, ten days I'll be gone. Okay, and so that's just here in the next few weeks. So for the rest of the year, you're going to be traveling around the country to various beekeeping events? Yes. Uh, sometimes we'll have government visits. Oh. We'll try to be at a lot of fairs mm-hmm. because of the numbers we have there, and there's a lot of beekeepers that have their own booths there. Sure. So. We try to help with them as much as possible. And and you're speaking to thousands of people, probably beekeepers at beekeeping meetings, yes. like the one you're attending right now, but also these fairs. There's probably tons mm-hmm. of people. You, you've got a tiara, right? That's the word, right? A yes, crown. a crown, <laughs> you've a got tiara, a, tiara my a bad. diamond hat. You've got one of those also. That's going to bring people to you. So people yes, are going to it's ask an questions. attention grabber. <laughs> my kids, every time they travel with me, they always notice the queens and mm-hmm. princess, especially my, my little boys. <laughs> oh, yeah. Have you had a lot of people asking you today why you're wearing a crown, a tiara? Um. Not today, but people before have said, oh, it's the, you know, they, the queen or princess. Sometimes they ask if there's a king, too, or something. <laughs> the drone. Yeah. The Burger King. He wouldn't do anything but eat. Since you were doing a Dairy Queen. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Oh, and you're all, all type of bollocks. Uh, right yep, yep, yep. So, so you, you speak at fairs, and in mm-hmm. those cases, are, are is it beekeepers who are inviting you to the fairs, or the state fairs are just inviting the, the queens from all the various agriculture commodities? Yeah, um, sometimes it'll be beekeepers, sometimes it'll be fair coordinators, because they might have me go on stage and do a speech or a cooking demonstration with honey, so... Okay. It yeah. varies. I guess that was my next question for you is how mm-hmm. do you actually, you know, do your education? Is it yeah. PowerPoint? Do you stand in front of a group? Do you do hands-on stuff? I mean, and, mm-hmm. and you just said cooking demonstrations. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, I might do recipes from my brochure. Okay. Uh, so I actually will be speaking to a lot of schools this year and I'll do either presentation or I have my photo prints of honeybees. Uh, there's a pollination one. There's a queenling eggs one. There's workers so I just go through those and show people what's going on in them and what their what their jobs are. We've had other um, American honey queens and princesses at our various bee colleges, University of Florida bee colleges over the years. Mm-hmm. And a few of them tell me that at other events, the beekeepers persuade them to put on bee beards. Have, yep. you, had, <laughs> have you had to do a bee Funny beard Funny that yet? you mentioned that, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> we don't do bee beards at programs that I run because mm-hmm. of liability reasons. Yeah. But I'm curious if you had to put on a bee beard. I haven't yet, but I am really looking forward to this year. Really? Yes. And you mean that? Yes, I do. <laughs> you should you should tell Jamie about the fun fact that you have uh, regarding bee stings. Have you ever been stung before? Oh, no, I haven't. Oh. Not by a honeybee. And you want to put on a bee beard? That's a very difficult way to find out that stings hurt. That's so funny. (laughs) I will will make sure I get stung before I do a bee beard just in case. (laughs) Just not here. Just in case I am very allergic. So so let's let's go back to your brochure since I have childhood memories of Honey Queen (laughs) brochures. So what what (laughs) That's weird. (laughs) Well, it's not. I just that's what I would get in the the mail from Date Ant when I would ask them for information about beekeeping, Amy. So, so what are some of the recipes that are on your brochure? Like, what do you, what do you yeah. like to put honey into, right? What cookies or cakes or what? Our recipes this year are more savory. Okay. Because a lot of people think, well, honey is sweet, so you have to put it in sweet recipes. Okay. Um, one of my favorites in my brochure is our honey beer bread. Okay. Honey beer bread. Yes. So you, you said the word beer. Yep. So, <laughs> I, I'm something. like, oh, that sounds interesting. <laughs> Fortunately, the the beer does not do anything to you because it's cooked. So. That's right. You know, alcohol evaporates. It's, it's fun for of, everyone to eat. I'll just have a glass of wine while I'm making the, <laughs> the beer bread. The honey beer bread. Honey you, beer bread. you left out the most important ingredient. All right, so well, the honey beer bread. Assume. What else? Yes, assume. Uh, th- my recipe in there that I introduced are these honey pretzels. So you take pretzels and you make kind of a honey Sounds sauce amazing. and you bake them. Mm. 
what goes into that sauce in addition to honey. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I can't honey. think of the ingredients it, right now. Probably butter. Reason. Do you put butter in that honey sauce? I don't and think pretzels? so. So, I know it's spices and okay. are these recipes located online? I mean, for people who aren't coming to your events, are they mm -hmm. able to find resources online about the program and maybe some of the recipes that you have? Yes. So um, the American Beekeeping Federation has a website, abfnet.org. Okay. And it has uh, multiple facts and things you need to know about the Honey Queen program on there, amongst other things. Mm -hmm. And we have a Facebook page, the American Honey Queen program. Okay. And on there we take photos and we post what we where we have been and what we do there. And people like to see what we've been doing so they know that we are getting out there and spreading the word about honeybees and how we can help them. Sure. A lot of times, like I said, you guys, you know, we our bee college is early in the year. So for mm -hmm. the past five or so years, uh, the princess or queen or both have come to our bee colleges here at UF. So I've been able to see it kind of firsthand. And a, a lot of you, you'll be spending weeks and weeks and weeks away from mm -hmm. home. You'll be, like you said, at fairs, at schools, et cetera. There'll be dozens upon dozens of events that you yes. guys do. You'll be on the news. You'll be doing podcasts like mm -hmm. Two Bees in a Podcast yes. here. <laughs> you'll be on radio programs. You'll be in the newspapers. I mean, you guys really do get the word out about honey. Mm -hmm. um, and I was in Indiana last week and I had a few interviews. It was two newspaper and then a TV and radio. Okay. And... Um, that's just a great way to reach an audience that may not be at an event that I'm at. Sure. So what's your favorite type of honey? My favorite, <laughs> I really enjoy cranberry blossom. What? I haven't that had too many amazing. yet. I don't think I've ever had it. Yeah. So Wisconsin, yeah. you know, is the number one producer in cranberries. So the honeybees will pollinate those. And okay. You know, it's interesting because, you know, I, when I always think cranberries, I think the Northeast. And so when I was in West, yeah. you know, I spoke at the Wisconsin Honey Producers Association in fall of 2019. And when I was there, I was able to see all those cranberry mm -hmm. bogs that you guys had. That's pretty neat. I have had Tupelo, too. And I know Tupelo is popular here. It's the bomb.com. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. what they say. Tupelo, Tupelo, for those of you who don't know, it's a it's a, a shrubby kind of tree type thing. It's, it's mm -hmm. a big bush, essentially, that grows in the swamps of the Florida Panhandle in the south in southeast georgia and it's a fantastic honey mm -hmm. yeah i mean you know you you would think that honey doesn't need ambassadors because it's mm -hmm. so good but it really does you know promoting the importance of our yes. industry so let me ask another question mm -hmm. you travel all over the place how is this funded how 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 are you financially able to do this how yeah. how's the honey queen program? you're paying for all of it right now jamie <laughs> <laughs> no i'm totally kidding <laughs> it's okay. so at the ABF convention, we have multiple auctions, and that's the majority of where we pull our money from, as well as uh, the Honey Queen and Princess will try to raffle or sell raffle tickets for a quilt at okay. the ABF convention. And that's another area we pull a lot of our money from and receive money from. Some people just like to donate if they think about it. They they like to because they know that we're doing something great and they sure. want to help us continue mm -hmm. to do that because it can be costly. So is it common for the people who have invited you in, like who are hosting you to to pay your expenses or, or is there ABF money to send you on flights and things like that? It depends on the situation. Okay. If I'm staying in a hotel or something, mm -hmm. I'll have to um, sure. buy my own food. and I get reimbursed. Sure. So, um, But usually hosts will help pay for things because they understand. So you do this for a year and that's a pretty big involvement. Mm -hmm. So are you able to do other stuff? Like, are you a college student at the time or what, what's what's the restrictions? How, what's the structure <laughs> of the program? Yeah. Uh, so right now in the spring, it's not as busy as it will be in August and September and October. Sure. Right now I'm not in college. I will be planning on going back to do my general education sure. after this is over. Usually queens will take off because it's so busy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I have two other jobs right now at oh, home. Okay. Mm -hmm. Great. So I like to keep busy yeah, when I'm so not doing this. so you will stay busy. Yes. 
Well, I really appreciate all that you do to be an ambassador for the Thank beekeeping you. industry. I mean, you know, I, I see it's funny. I, I get the American Bee Journal and Bee Culture and I see both groups say who's going to be speaking where. And, and mm-hmm. the queens and the princess are always in the catalogs, mm-hmm. always everywhere, all the time. And so I really appreciate what you guys do for the beekeeping industry. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. So, guys, that was Sydney Paulsrud, who's the American Beekeeping Federation Honey Princess. She's from Eau Claire, Wisconsin, and she <laughs> travels all <laughs> around the United States as an ambassador for the beekeeping industry. Thank you for joining us and Two Bees in a Podcast. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. <laughs> Have questions or comments? Don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at UF Honeybee Lab. Here at Two Bees in a Podcast, we are very conscious that there are lots of different things that can bother beehives, bee colonies. We've got all the things that live inside the hive and affect bees directly. These are the pests, the parasites, the pathogen, etc. But there are also things that attack hives from the outside, things that come in from the outside. And we call those apiary pests. And there's a handful of these things. There's ants, yellows, jackets, and hornets, bears, birds, small mammals, cane toads, etc. People. People, that's right, Amy. So here at Two Bees in a Podcast, we've decided that we're going to run a short series where we discuss these apiary pests one by one and in some detail, talking about what they do to hives, um, you know, how they impact colonies, how we can prevent them, what beekeepers can do to address these issues. One of the leading experts in the state of Florida on this very topic is Dr. Bill Kern. Dr. Bill Kern is an associate professor in entomology from the Entomology and Nematology Department. He's stationed at the University of Florida. Fort Lauderdale Research and Education Center. Bill, thanks for joining us today on Two Bees in a Podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Well, Bill, the very first apiary pest that we want to discuss in this series of segments that we're going to discuss apiary pests is the ant. And I, I, you know, so for years of me being in Florida, lots of people have emailed me and talked to me about ants. And you created what I think is really the best resource on ants and bees uh, really in, in the United States. And I think it's really relevant to beekeepers really around the world, beekeepers who are finding themselves address ants. For those of you who are listening today, we're going to have this particular document linked in the show notes and the resources. But Bill, let's talk about ants and the threat that they pose to bees and bee colonies. So let's start kind of thinking about it systematically. There are different groups of ants that do different things to bee colonies, right? Yes, that's true. There are there are ants that are predators okay. um, that actually go after the brood and will pull brood out of a colony to take back and feed to their young. Okay, carpenter ants are a good example of that. All right. Then you have those ants that are the sugar loving ants, so they're going to go in to steal honey. And you know some of the notorious ones worldwide are things like Argentine ants. Sure. Um, and then you also have uh, some of the ones that occasionally just move into colonies and are living like underneath your uh um lid or inner your, cover, underneath yeah. your lid between your lid and your inner cover and you know they're not really bothering the bees that much um things like uh, ghost ants or what people in California call black-headed ants um taponoma melanocephalum and it's easy the, for you to say the, the one <laughs> back at you, you Bill. Get that, the one problem <laughs> the one problem you have to watch out with some of these ants is if you go in and you squash them especially um uh 
these uh, what we call the stinky ants, the poo poo ants. <laughs> well, no, they're called the, they're called they're called the stinking ants because they have a chemical that they use for defense. Well, that chemical is surprisingly similar to the defensive chemical of honeybees. So you squash a colony of um, uh, ghost ants, your colony may react as if aggression pheromone has been released. Interesting. Well, let's. I, I want to talk a little about these three kind of categories in detail. Let me see if I get them right. You've got the the predators, you've got the the sugar uh, eaters, and then you've got essentially those ants who are using the hive. Um, as a place that they can make their own uh, colony. Right. So let's let's talk about that first category, the predators. So you mentioned, uh, which ants did you mention as a good example Carpenter of that? Carpenter ants okay. are probably the best example. Okay. And they, they have a worldwide distribution. Sure. Uh, we have multiple species here in Florida. We have multiple species in North America. And you can go to virtually any place in the world and you will find if not that same genus of Campanotus, you'll find some equivalent. So they're going into the hive physically to steal the brood from that hive. Do they do they also eat adult bees or attack adult bees? Uh, they they can, but usually they're going to attack a weakened colony. Okay. So if you have a colony that is weak because of a poor queen, they're going to be more prone to attacking. Now, do do fire ants also fall into this category? Fire ants will go in and they will raid and they will um, take the young, take the brood because they are they are actually grease loving ants huh. or oil loving ants. Huh. So they're actually going after the brood because hey, that's a nice, it's fat. a nice fat juicy. A glob of lipids. Well, that's interesting. You know, when I see fire ants as a problem in, in colonies that I have worked in, in my own and in my own research colonies, I see them um, nesting right at the bottom, at the base of the hive. And when when bees hit the ground, or or when I'm working a colony and bees hit the ground, the ants are on them instantly. Even in my own backyard here in Florida, I see that. So let's let's think then about that second category, the the sugar stillers. Right? Why why would they pose a threat to be to bees? Um, mostly it's because they're disturbing the colony. Okay. So sometimes um, they probably aren't eating enough honey to really cause a problem it's for the agitation. beekeeper, mm -hmm. but they're agitating the bees. Hmm. But then you have something like Argentine ants. Yep. When Argentine ants move into a bee colony, yep. they move in and they'll have foraging columns in the millions. Huh. And they will literally clean out a colony. Um, so it's it's a serious problem. And we have uh, my farm in Georgia. That's my number one pest ant is Argentine ants. Huh. In Florida, we don't seem to have as much of a problem because they tend to be spotty. Yeah. You go to someplace like California, and that is the number one pest ant throughout California. Huh. And well, it... It was introduced every place. There's, sure. there's actually a colony of Argentine ants in southern Europe that extends from the southern coast of Portugal all the way around the coast of Spain, the coast of France, to northern Italy. That's incredible. And it's one super colony. Well, let me let That's me ask crazy. then about this third category, and then I'm going to turn it over to Amy because I know she's got some questions to you about control. But this third category, the, the ants that use a beehive as a, as a nest structure. Actually, here in my backyard, uh, here in Florida, that's 
one of the biggest problems I have. I have two types of ants, and I, uh, even though I'm an entomologist, I'm not an entomologist, so I can't recognize any of these <laughs> Good things. Good one, Jamie. But I do have at least two species of ants. One that will live up under my um, outer cover, between my outer cover and inner cover, and then one that physically tunnels into the walls of my wooden beehive. And those cause a lot of damage because my walls actually degrade over time. So so in this case, you know, it's a structural issue for me. They don't seem to be bothering the bees. They're just bothering the structure of the hive. Right. And in some and in some places, in some parts of, uh, of the world, uh, carpenter ants can be a serious wood-destroying problem. Okay. And, you know, we also generally use relatively soft woods mm-hmm. when we are constructing our woodenware for our beehives. So it's, it's most carpenter ants do not eat wood. They, well, no carpenter ants eat wood. Okay. But they will tunnel into okay, wood excavate. to create nest cavities. Sure. In Florida, the problem we're having is actually an introduced ant called the compact carpenter ant. Okay. And that's the one I find damaging my woodenware. All right. Um, our native carpenter ants, you know, they just get up uh, underneath the cover um, and are just sort of hanging out in my top bar hive. They got in and they had a huge colony right um, right on top of my top bars. Sure. So. We've got these three categories. We've talked about them in detail. The predators, the, the sugar thieves, and, and the nest inhabitors. Why is it important that a beekeeper know which of those categories of ants their colonies are, are encountering? Well, to, in order to do control, you really want to know what what food habits your ants are, are having. Sure. And one of the ways we do that is we do what's called a, a bait test card. Okay. And it's just a... Just a piece of uh, cardstock, you know, like an index card sure. with a little glob of peanut butter. That represents the the fat-loving ants, or sure. the, the lipid-loving ants. There's fat and peanut butter? Oh, yeah. Are you You've serious? just destroyed my life. Did, well, there's, a, there's a fair, there's a fair amount of protein, too, <laughs> but there's a lot of oil. There's also a lot of sugar in, in most no commercial way. peanut butter. Uh, and then I use um, either a little bit of honey or you can use corn syrup. Um to represent the carbohydrate. Sure. And then I use a piece of either hot dog or Vienna sausage, just a, a little thin slice to represent the meat. There's and meat you, and hot dogs? <laughs> yes. I'm just thinking there's like, a, there's are, a, are we talking about dogs or ants? There's supposed to be a little bit of meat. Okay. All right. So, and then you see rocking my what world the today, ants Bill. are coming to. So if the ants are coming and they're just going gangbusters on the uh, hot dog, all right, okay. now we've got a protein-loving ant. This is one that is likely going to go in and eat your brood. Gotcha. That makes sense. Okay, so we're talking about how to control it once they're already there. But I, I really just don't want them there at all. So how do I how do I and other beekeepers prevent this from happening? How do we prevent ants from coming into our colonies and stealing our resources and tunneling through our structures, et cetera, et cetera? One of the, the best things I like to do, and I do this for all of my hives, uh, is to use uh, ant guards on all my hives. Okay. What is that? An ant guard is usually some type of mechanical structure that the ants can't get past. And you can either line it with something like axle grease or some people create moats um, with Soap uh, water, soapy water. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you have another uh, 
um, the leg of your hive goes down into that. Or so the, so the hives are essentially old stands that have legs, and the legs right. themselves are in something or wrapped by something. So the wrap right. will will be something that they cannot cross, or if they're physically sitting in a can, the can may contain soap, water, et cetera, so the ants can't swim across and get to the right. leg. But in this case, you're going to have to be aware that you can't let grass and grow sure. up and touch the hive or twigs right. from trees come down and touch them. Right. So and the, barriers, you're creating a barrier. You're creating a barrier. Okay. And again, yes, uh, weed control is important in the hive. And personally, uh, I know some people don't like the use of Roundup. I use a flamer and I literally um, use a flamer to control my weeds. Okay. Um, what, what is a flamer? It's, it's essentially a propane burner that you use for weed control. Um, and it works very well. It doesn't seem to bother the bees nearly as much as something like a, uh, a string trimmer, which, you know, or lawnmower that bees absolutely hate because of the, the frequency of sound it makes. Sure. So, and you know, it, it does produce a little bit of smoke when it's, when it's burning the, the weeds, that may help to calm the bees a little. Really kind of sounds awesome. Yeah, it's kind of funny because when I first started keeping bees, I remember not even thinking about all these different pests in the apiary, you know, and we're like, we we want to be here to save the bees, but get rid of everything else around yeah, it. it <laughs> you know, we don't want all these other things coming around. So, Bill, you've said two things under prevention. You're going to build a barrier, right? Or, or in, and also under prevention, you're going to remove structures that might otherwise touch the hive to create right. a drawbridge for the ants right. to get to them. All right. All right. So after, you know, after we've prevented them from coming in, I guess inevitably they're going to be coming in anyway. How do we control it after that? All right. If you need to control the ants. And when do you need to control the ants? Oh, well, that's a good question. And it's oftentimes it is a, it's a problem that depends on the sensibilities of the individual beekeeper. Um, I'm you know, for a, <laughs> well, that for sounds a long, really scholarly there, Bill. So for a long time, <laughs> How um, sensitive are you? I would I would make sure that my um, uh, my excluders were working, and I was actually happy to have fire ants underneath my hives because all of those small hive beetle larvae that crawled out, well, they never made it into the soil to pupate. Sure. The fire ants ate them up. They also ate the bees, though, that dropped off your frames and things. So, so how, what, are there different control strategies for the three categories of ants? Well, it's going to be, be dependent on the, the bait you. Okay. So you let's know. talk about so that. You find, you figure out what kind of uh, bait they like. So a sugar bait, a lipid bait, or a protein bait. So you identify what kind of ant you're right. looking for. Right. Okay. Identify or the pest. You don't even have to identify the specific species sure. of ant. But what do they like to eat? Mm -hmm. So if they are going to a sugar bait, then you can use a, a sugar and water liquid bait with, you know, either um, borax or boric acid, um, or you can use one of the commercial sugar baits. The, the important thing to realize is, you know, your bees will be attracted to those baits too. Sure. So you have to make sure that mm -hmm. they are inaccessible to the bees. And I usually do that by just simply putting my bait station out and if I have to, cover it with a box. Sure. The ants will crawl underneath the box to get to the bait, but mm -hmm. the, the bees won't. So that's the sugar sugar feeders. How about killing those lipid feeders and those meat eaters? For for the lipid feeders, uh, there are certain oil-based baits. Okay. 
Um, and then for the, the protein-loving ants, there are actually baits that are primarily protein. Um, actually, what they tend to use is ground-up silkworm pupae Interesting. as the <laughs> protein base. And evidently, ants really like ground-up caterpillars for some reason. <laughs> and so that is very attractive to things like uh, to fire ants um, and to carpenter ants. I mean, I, I love this premise. Know your enemy, right? Once you know what your enemy is going to do in this case, well, you know, know your pest, well, what they eat, you can develop a bait or purchase a bait that addresses what they like to eat. So at the end of the day, though, Bill, we prevent them, we can control them. I think these are all great recommendations. How likely are these pests actually going to be a problem for most beekeepers? Do you think most beekeepers will encounter an ant problem at some point in their beekeeping tenure? At at some point, you're going to run into ants okay. as a problem. It's going to be more likely if your colonies are weak. So one of the most important things is to keep a good, strong colony. And they can do a fairly good job of defending themselves from ant pests. Um, you know, and then the, the question is, well, how much irritation can you and your bees tolerate? Sure. Yeah, actually, the the first time I ever went into a, a colony I without gloves, I went out there and I'm like, OK, I'm not going to get stung by a bee. I'm not going to get stung by a bee. And I was just using my hands and I just got stung up by fire ants. Yeah, it was sure. the worst. And I came back in and I was just, well, is it biting or singing? They do both, right? They do both. Okay. They, bo they do both. And it's funny you mentioned that because when I was having those ants nesting in the walls of my hives, uh -huh. I was getting bitten and stung by those <laughs> and way not the bees. more <laughs> yeah, than I ever exactly. got. They were more of a nuisance for me, I yeah. think, than they were the bees. So Dr. Bill Kern, Associate Professor in Entomology from the Entomology and Nematology Department at the University of Florida, stationed at the Fort Lauderdale Research and Education Center. Thank you for joining us on Two Bees in a Podcast and discussing the apiary pest ants. Thank you for having me. It's everybody's favorite game show, Stomp the Chump. Hey, Cameron, it's that time again. It's that time. You know what time it is? Game time. <laughs> no, Cameron. Oh. It's, <laughs> it's question and answer time where All we get right. to read some of the questions that our listeners have posted either on our online accounts or emailed to us or called and left messages. And then we attempt to answer those questions. Sounds good. We got one here from Abeas Bees Twitter, from Twitter. They asked, how many beehives are needed per acre per or per hectare in almond pollination? Okay, so how many colonies are needed per acre for almond pollination? Well, for insurance purposes, you're usually required to put out at least two colonies per acre, but they usually shoot for having something around two and a half to three colonies per acre. And a follow-up question, how strong do colonies have to be to be able to go into almond pollination? Yeah, so that's obviously an important one. You know, you, if you're using bees to pollinate almonds, you really want to be putting out living colonies, right? The colonies that have living bees, and you want to make sure there's enough bees in there to do the job. Right now, they are graded to be at least six to eight full frames of bees. And they're assuming that if there's a frame of bees, those bees are covering brood. Um, you actually get bonuses oftentimes in your contract for having more than 
um, eight frames of bees. And so we could talk about hive structure too. You know, these could be in singles. These could be in single deeps with a medium. These can be in double deeps, et cetera. But at the end of the day, you really want your colonies to have at least six to eight full frames of bees. They need to be queen right. And of course, if there's bees and a queen, then you've got brood and broods what's creating that demand for pollen. And all of that will get the bees out in the field. Great. We got another one from Bespoke Beehives. And they said, good morning. I love the podcast. Well, good morning and thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful getting info backed by actual science. I've seen a lot of sites pushing top bar hives as being a better choice for bee health. Is there any validity to, any validity to that? So... I, you know, I've, I've been a beekeeper now for 30 years and I've seen kind of a lot of craze associated with different hive styles. In my opinion, so this is an opinion, not a fact comment. In my opinion, Langstroth style colonies are the easiest hives to manage, right? That colonies in those types of hives are the easiest to manage. However, there are top bar hive enthusiasts and, and long, long hive, long box hive enthusiasts, and, and they'll often come up with lots and lots and lots of reasons that these are better for bee health. I've just never seen those reasons substantiated. If, if there's plenty of scientific evidence in the future that suggests keeping, you know, in this case, bees and top bar hives is better for them varroa wise or nosema wise, then I'll be happy to believe it. But, but I can't think of any reason a varroa would be less effective on a bee and a top bar hive than it would be in a, you know, Langstroth style hive. So I, I I think there's little validity. That doesn't mean that beekeepers shouldn't use them. I always tell people, you know, you're you're free to use what you want to and enjoy what you use and own what you use. So I'm, I'm not knocking top bars from that perspective. I'm just saying, I, I don't believe there's any uh, validity to them being healthier because of the hive style. But, you know, who knows what data will show in the future. One more we can do from uh, Scambia County Bees. They ask, when should a beekeeper be worried about hive beetles? <laughs> I get that question all the time, Cameron. You know, people are always saying, you know, I've got beetles in my colonies. I need to destroy them. What's going on? But frankly, you need to be more worried about the condition of your colonies that would allow beetles to be a problem than seeing beetles in your colonies. And so what do I mean by that? You, well, you, you shouldn't allow colonies to be queenless or weak or be overrun by varroa. These are situations that cause beetles to, you know, for lack of a better term, explode in your in your colony. So, so rather than being worried about a specific number of beetles, you need to be worried about the overall health of your colonies and making sure that colonies are set up to be able to battle the beetles themselves. We we did a study years ago, colleagues of mine at the University of Georgia and Clemson uh, years ago, and we varied beetle populations in colonies. And we had colonies with as few as 75 beetles to colonies of upwards of 1,200 beetles. And no beetle population allowed us to predict damage. So we would have colonies with 75 beetles collapse and colonies with 1,200 beetles be just fine. So it wasn't necessarily a population thing. It was what else was happening to the colony that allowed any beetle population to overrun that colony. Does that, does that make sense? Do you see what I'm saying? So we're not necessarily ma ma managing against a beetle number. We're managing to keep conditions to where beetles can't explode in that colony. All right, listeners, thank you so much for submitting those questions. We love being able to answer the questions that you ask. Continue going on our social media accounts or visiting our website. Any way that you want to get a question to us, maybe it will be answered on Two Bees in a Podcast. We'd like to give an extra special thank you to the following. To our editors, Shelby Howell and Bailey Carroll, and to our audio engineer, James Weaver. 
Without their hard work, two bees in a podcast would not be possible. So thank you. For more information and additional resources for today's episode, don't forget to visit the UF IFAS Honeybee Research and Extension Laboratory's website, ufhoneybee.com. Do you have questions you won't answer it on air? If so, email them to honeybee at ifas.ufl.edu or message us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at UF Honeybee Lab. While there, don't forget to follow us. Thank you for listening to Two Bees in a Podcast.